The nominees for Best Picture of the Year are... And the Oscar goes to... Hello everyone, my name is Oliver Smith and welcome to And the Oscar Goes To, a podcast where we look at Best Picture nominees from years past... I'm here today with my ever-faithful co-host. He was born in a crossfire hurricane. It's Joel Abraham. I was born in a crossfire hurricane. Right, what's the next line of that song? Because I always thought um, it was, and I howled at the moon in the driving rain. Oh, no, the, the next line is, and I howled at the moon in the driving rain. <laughs> I always, That's so much more like melodic than Mick Jagger. <laughs> I always thought it was about driving range, I won't lie. You howled at the moon at the driving range? I don't know what the... I, I don't know all the actual words. So before I that thought word. it was. So it's. Uh, I was born in a crossfire hurricane. Yeah, and I howled at the something in the driving rain. Mm, not the driving range. <laughs> no, no, not the driving range. Right. I always thought it was moon. Right. Mm. But I looked at the lyrics because I was going to do both lines to introduce. Yeah. You. I was going to say he was born in a crossfire hurricane. And he howled at the moon. Mm. The driving range. Dri- at the driving range. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was the driving range. <laughs> but then. The lyric sheets I could find online, I've seen like loads of different things. So one person said, uh, I howled at my ma in the drive-in rain. But the two-faced bearded hat. The two-faced bearded, yeah, your mum. Yeah. The two-faced bearded yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one that said, I howled at the mall. But I don't really know what a mall is. M-A-W, what's a mall? Howled at the mall in the driving rain. And then another one was, I howled at the morning driving rain, which I think is definitely wrong. So... Like morning, none, as in of those, like, none of those make any sense. As in like at, like the, the first part of the day. I think I howled at the moon in the driving rain. Because that like... Like a wolf. Yeah, it's like evocative of like a werewolf. You're born across a hurricane. You're some kind of crazy werewolf. Yeah, and your mother's a two-faced bearded hag. Yeah. Hmm. Right? Anyway, I didn't oh, do it. never given it any I thought. didn't do it because... Nor had I. You don't you want to go into the controversy. Exactly. Yeah. I felt like maybe I was walking into something bigger than myself. Mm. And that hurts. <laughs> Well, if, yeah, if you're walking quick enough, yeah. Yeah, it actually hurts sometimes to walk into things that are smaller than you. Just don't walk into things. Little tables. Plugs. Oh, Lego pieces. Mm, well, I don't know piece about of Lego. I don't keep Lego in my house or, um, on the floor. Legos. Individual Legos. I don't know. Why, are you making a joke? That's what Americans call them, isn't <laughs> oh, it? Oh, yeah. They oh. say they're Legos. Oh, do you know they're called Taps Faucets? Yeah, do they? I don't know. Do you know, okay. something I saw on Twitter uh, this week that apparently we, we do differently here is we say, um, like, the weekend, instead, but whereas they put the emphasis at the beginning, so they say, like, the weekend, whereas we say, like, the weekend. So they say weekend. They say week, <laughs> and we say, like, weekend. Yeah. Weekend, yeah. I don't know, but apparently that's different. That's, I never really noticed it. That's fascinating. It's like how they say address. We say address. So this week we're talking about Pulp Fiction. Yeah, uh, the film this week is Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. This season is 1994 films films for the 1995 Best Oscar. That is correct. The 67th Academy Awards of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And we're talking about the Best Picture nominee, uh, Pulp Fiction. This is the fourth film of this series. Quentin Tarantino. only got the winner left to do after this one. Um, So directed by Quentin Tarantino... The lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster's wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption. You guys know what Pulp Fiction's about. I didn't really need to tell you that. Everyone knows what Pulp Fiction's about. Mm. Yeah. I'd also assume that most of the time... I don't really know what Pulp Fiction's about. Uh, yeah, that's true. I saw someone ask uh, Samuel L. Jackson what he thought it was about. Yeah. And he said that he thinks it's about 
redemption. Um, the people who deserve to be saved are saved. Okay. Well, like Samuel L. Jackson and... But the same interviewer then also said that um, he'd asked him that like 10 years prior or something. And mm. he said, I don't know what it is. I don't think anybody does. So... So he was just putting a shit out his ass. Mm. Or maybe he experienced a miracle and set his path, Tarant- set his life to the path of the righteous. I don't know. I think Tarantino said it was uh, partly about like the archetypal gangster stories with then real world logic that gets in the way. So they have the gangster story and then like uh, Butch is walking along and then he just happens to bump it because they're in the same city. just happens to bump into Marcellus. Yeah, Wallace. it's like quite, it's quite a big, yeah so it's just real world logic getting in the way of these archetypal gangsters yeah i mean that was kind of what he wanted to create was he said about how it is really like archetypal stories in the sense it's like the boxer that dives yeah takes a dive for a fight all that sort of stuff like his idea was taking these old stories that you've seen a bunch of times Mm. and kind of just weaving them together and putting like a bit of a new spin on them yeah um it's called pulp fiction because he wanted it to be like an homage to kind of pulpy stories as like and i think the reason maybe he did it as like an intertwined thing was you'd get these like compendiums in uh black mask magazine which was like a pulpy right crimey noir lit mag of the of a certain time and uh they would often have you know like a compendium of stories all in there so it was kind of like him wanting to almost make an issue of like a black mask magazine this pulp fiction is uh a name given to fiction that is made from really shitty paper it's just yeah, so that's, that's where it comes from. Because, yeah. yeah, the paper's pulpy because it was made on, like, cheap stuff. And they'd yeah. sell them for, like, a dime. And they're, yeah. it's, they're also known as, like, dime store oh, okay. rags, I think. And um, I guess Penny Dreadfuls would kind of fall into so a similar like a thing. But Penny Dreadfuls type. are more horror, aren't they? Yeah. Like a Victorian and Jack the Ripper talking to the mic. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I was trying to do it subtly with, uh, with body language. But what you've done is it's just revealed. It brought out. I don't like to hide things from. See that uh, sounds nice. Can you see how, how that sounds nicer though? Yeah, you sound a bit. Your voice sounds a bit richer, more full-bodied. Yes. And if there's anything you can say about Joel Abraham, it's a full-bodied voice. And that he doesn't look like a bitch. Yeah, that's what. When people ask me what you look like, I say, to say what he doesn't look like. Mm. Don't look like a bitch. Mm. So just, just don't. Don't try and fuck him like mm. a bitch. It's the best, best line in this film by quite a long way. No, way. it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. You know what the best line in this film is. Is, is it? Well, okay, what's the best line in this film? It's a shot Marvin in the face. Oh, okay. Then. Oh, right. So we're going to go back to this now or we're going to bring that up later? Uh, we, could do it. we could do it now. So I think probably maybe the first time I watched this film. That was the first time you'd watched this film. I'd definitely seen it before this. Quite possibly. I don't know, but I watched this film with you maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago. No, we, we didn't know each other when we were 10. About 10 years ago sounds about right. 15. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, and we watched the whole film. It was good. Yeah, and we were at your house. Was it my house? With a few other guys. Right. There was uh, like a few of us and we were all like... Yeah, and no one, like, no one enjoyed it after we that. We were all crashing at yours. Yeah, so uh, it gets to the point when Vincent Vega shoots Marvin in the face. He, he says, says, I shot Marvin in the face. Oh, shot Marvin in the face? Oh, I shot Marvin in the face. It's funny. Uh, yeah, it's a funny line. Both delivered. Everyone laughs. Good job, John Travolta. Mm-hmm. We watched that maybe fifty times yeah, well, in know. a row because you repeatedly moved the rewound to the point when he shoots Marvin in the face. Yeah, he says, "Oh, I shot Marvin in the face." Yeah, we. I would rewind the DVD and I'd watch it again. Fifties 
I think it's probably not far off. 50. No, I think you're probably exaggerating in me- like realistically, it was probably like nine. But no, like, no, 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 actually, no, no. It was definitely no, more actually than... think about somebody playing the same thing nine times in a row. Yeah, that would make me furious. Then playing it more than yeah. nine times would make me irate. Okay, so here's here's the thing. Let me get it. Let's get this from my let's get my side of the story. What's your side of the story? That line's funny. Here's funny line, yeah. The first so two times, the first two times it was funny. The, here's the thing. I wanted to list, you know, sometimes you do see something funny and you got to rewind it. You want to watch it again. Right. So the first maybe like four or five times, mm. that was what was happening. Yeah. I want to enjoy myself after that. Was I? Do you yeah. honestly think I was, I, I was enjoying, well, I wasn't enjoying. You were definitely my, enjoying yourself. I was enjoying myself. I wasn't enjoying the line. watching the line. No, you just, the, the fact that everyone else. Uh, everyone else was furious. Because mm. that's the kind of person I am. You did the same thing with the OC once. Smoke the tree. I'm gonna nail him now. Yeah, yeah. Sandy Cohen says I'm gonna nail him now in like the most deadpan line reading ever. And I no, that okay. was a lot. Let's more talk than... about Peter Gallagher. Okay, yeah, he's Sandy great. Cohen. Yeah, he is. He's wonderful. He loves bagels. He's mm. got the best eyebrows in the biz. Yeah, they're at a dinner party, and it's the it's the juxtaposition of. Okay, let's go for a deep cut. The OC. Are we, um, are we gonna do the OC cast? Because I'm up for that. The O cast. The orange. Casty, yeah. Anyway, um, Castafonia. <laughs> Castafonia. Um, so they're at a dinner party, and uh, Sandy Cohen's got some dirt on Caleb, isn't he? Uh, yeah. It. So he knows that the uh, the heights are worthless. Yes, and uh, he's d- he's discussing like when he's gonna hit him mm. with the thing, and then Caleb says something about. It's a Christmas party, isn't it? It's at Christmas because then he says that because so Sandy's like a surfer dude, stoner type, and Caleb says to him, "Oh, Sandy, you could smoke the tree," and, and Sandy says, "Smoke the tree? That's funny. I'm going to nail him now." Yeah, which is funny. Good line reading. It's a really good line reading. I saw that at least twenty times. Mm-hmm. The perfect amount of times. I can't tell you exactly when that is, but I want to say it's roughly it's be the OC season two, one two? episode. No, it's got to be season one, no, isn't it? Season I thought two, the whole height storyline was in season one. Oh, maybe. When you first oh, realised yeah, that, like... Oh, and Rachel. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like, uh, it's when you first realised Caleb's like a bit dodge and he's doing all the underground dealings mm. in the car park. So it's got to be like season one episode, like 14, 15. Go check it out. Should we talk about Pulp Fiction? Uh, yeah, kind of. Or do you want to keep talking about season one of the OC? Uh, I've... There's another really good line reader, which I probably... In fact, when I, I did one time watch with my uh, with my cousin, and we did the same thing, which was rewinding something over and over again. But we were both in on that one because we were really episode one, the pilot. Okay, it was this when okay. Ryan when Ryan standing outside smoking yeah. cigarettes, and Marissa first comes over to him and says, "I'm like tries to and asks to bum a cigarette and everything," and uh, and he tells us that he stole a car. Stole a car. It's the way he says, "I stole a car." It's so funny. Actually, my brother did. Yeah, crashed it. Yeah. It is. He's acting in that scene is dreadful. It's awful. Ben McKenzie yeah, yeah. is not great at the beginning no. of that show, or in the middle, or, or, or in the, the middle or end yeah. of that show. Are we going to do a deep cut on the OC? Because I don't think anyone wants to hear that. I don't think anyone wants to hear what we're doing actually. So let's just riff. <laughs> yeah, let's just do it. Let's yeah. just fucking let's just settle in. We can we can derail this. Um, this is exactly what people want. This is like this is it's basically Pulp Fiction here. Talking about other stuff. This is basically, our lives are basically Pulp Fiction. The film starts in the diner. Yeah, so I, I don't remember that. I've written how good the start was. The start's great. So it's the, it goes, in, the then it goes into the, the... Okay, I'm just going to, uh, right at the top here, I'm mm. going to throw it out. I don't know if this is going to be controversial. Good film. Yeah. Yeah, top film. Good film, I think. Big um, fan. Yeah. 
good film. Uh, really good, I'd say. So it starts. It starts with, and then it goes into the song. It goes ha ha ha. That bit. Oh, and then Pop Fiction comes up big on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's like a prologue. Okay. So it's like the prologue and the epilogue almost. The dinosaur scene kind of bookends the movie. It's like right. a prologue yeah, epilogue yeah. Um, with Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Tim Roth and... Amanda so Plummer. Yeah. So they're both sitting there. So the, the prologue is literally just them sitting there talking. Yeah. And then they decide to rob the place. Then she stands up and says, uh, if any of you pricks... It's, uh, it's like, this is a robbery. If any of you fucking pricks move, I'm going to execute every yeah. last motherfucking one of you. Another line reading Intense. which Rachel McAdams nails and she does it in uh, Game Night. Which is... Oh, I didn't, no, the I didn't second, get that. No, no, the second insight... Uh, Second pull from Game Night, Rachel McAdams on this podcast. You're a big fan of that film. I'm a big fan of that film. It's a good film. Yeah, but she does that, doesn't mm. she? Because then I, uh, I, I think I a Jason Bateman says, whoa, calm down, honey bunny. Oh, I see. So I watched it on maybe the 10th hour of a flight. Uh, okay, yeah. No, she does that bit. Um, and that's how, then, that, then that ends mm. when they're just about to do the robbery. The title sequence starts. Goes, then it goes straight into the car. Yeah, so the car only says. Which I think is one of the... One of the best scenes. One of the most memorable scenes. It's yeah. the scene that everyone remembers. The Royale with cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear the goof? Is this... Oh, we already got to the goof. Already go- got to the goof. Okay, so this is a segment we like to call, um, <clears throat> You Can't Handle the Goof. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. The Did goof? you think of that? The goof! You can't handle the goof! Did you think of that before now? No. Don't give me those eyebrows. Okay. Uh... So but I've, I, what I realise I've now done, because mm. last week I called it Hit Me With Your Best Goof, I realise yeah. now that what I've done is I've come up with a segment, like a joke, where I need to come up with a new name for this every week, and I don't know how many puns I can come up with on Goof. But don't worry about it. It's, okay. it's, it's, well, it's we'll, cool. we'll worry about that next week, mm-hmm. when we do Forrest Gump. It's only yeah. if there's a goof in Forrest Gump. There's going to be a goof f- in Forrest Gump. I only find really funny goofs. Yeah, that's true. So he says, it's called a Royale with cheese. Mm-hmm. It's actually just called a Royale cheese. Is it? Is it, are you sure it's not called a Royale avec fromage? It's called a Royale cheese. You're taking the wind out of my sails here. Okay, sorry. What a stupid goof. Yeah. Tarantino's a bad writer. Mm, he's a terrible director. Yeah, that's a bad... He should have caught that. But sure, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe they call it a Royale cheese. But like, why would they not call it a Royale fromage? Well, that sounds stupid. Royale fromage. That doesn't sound stupid. It does. Sound Royale f- it's still a McDonald's. McDo. McDo. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. They actually sell beer in McDonald's in France. That's what they say. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, good good start. Uh, it's a really good start. And like, what I really think works about this opening scene in the film is that at no point do they ever really... I mean, they do kind of... Uh, once they get to the place, I think, they discuss a few words about the mark. But at no point do they ever say what they're doing. Like... In a shittier film, there's like a bit more of yeah. like a, it's just kind of churning to get the plot through. There's some really badly uh, executed like exposition, which is kind of dropped in there where the characters tell each other why they're there, which always really annoys me because it's like, yeah, you'd know this, you know, when the, you get one character that tells something yeah, that yeah. the other character would obviously already know, mm. but they have to say it because the audience has to hear it. Yeah. But he doesn't do any of that. So could you just repeat to me the plan? Yeah. So if you don't know it by now. The best one. Is in the worst one I've seen recently is uh, when have you seen Aquaman? No. Uh, in Aquaman, the the kind of like the villain wants to become Ocean Master, which basically means that they have to uh, unite the f- I want to say five. 
They're uniting the five. Races under the ocean. There's like different. Is the who's the bad? Is it Black Manta? So he's in it. He's like a separate storyline, kind of alongside. But yeah, he is in it. Right. Okay. He wants to do that, and it means that he'll become Ocean Master, which gives him like power over the sea or whatever. And he looks <laughs> so dorky. It's fucking dorky as shit. It's great. I really, okay. I'd really recommend watching it. It's so good. It's it's by far the best DC one they've done. I haven't seen Shazam yet, and I, I, is that in the DCU or is that a separate one? I don't, I don't know. care. I've heard it's good. I haven't Shazam's seen it. meant to be good. It's yeah, be but funny. no, of the proper like mainline DCEU, right. you know, Justice League kind of films. Yeah, Aquaman is definitely the best one. It's really fun. What are the rest? The rest of them are Wonder Woman, which people did like. I didn't Wonder love Woman. Wonder Woman, but I could. I don't think it was like flat out bad. I just wasn't really for me. And then obviously like. BVS and Justice League. I watched. I started to watch Justice League on the right after game night on the maybe the fourteenth. I haven't even tried Justice League. Garbage. Yeah, it looks bad. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, he's explaining, but like the person that wants to become Ocean Master is having what becoming Ocean Master is explained to him. Uh, okay. And he's like, hold on, you're trying to unite the five armies so that when you you can become Ocean Master and then you'll have complete raid. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. Yeah, I know because I'm the one doing it like mm. but the depth that they go into with like the lore and how it all works while explaining it to the person that's trying mm. to do it is really really funny uh but i think that is how this kind of scene would usually be written but they don't do that at all but you totally get what's going on like the way they're dressed yeah and there's like something about they talk about marcellus wallace being and clearly he's the yes yeah, so they talk about the boss being Concho. and they talk about him throwing someone out of a window for touching his wife's feet that is a little bit later that's once they've got out of the car and they're walking through the place oh yeah but yeah so like you kind of get that they are in with some pretty bad people like the mob maybe yeah. and you, but you just kind of put two and two together like they're clearly there to do a job well and you, as soon as they get in they start talking about they start getting their guns out and shooting people you're like okay they're, they're gangsters yeah but i think you know that yeah before yeah. like you know that almost while they're in the car you kind of just get i that's the thing i can't separate myself from Knowing it now. Knowing it, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but even if you don't know specifically that they're hitmen, you know that they're, like, the kind of yes, absolutely. people they are. Yeah. Uh, there's also just something about, like, what would bring these two guys together. Because they clearly don't like each other very much. Yeah, I mean, I think they find each other interesting, and I think they respect mm. each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, th- well, I think uh, they, both pres- they both respect Samuel Jackson, and Samuel Jackson only respects himself. Vincent Vega is uh He does ineffectual... say he respects Vincent Vega later on. Oh, that's, oh he does. He's, that's when fair. they're in the bathroom, he says, look, I've got respect for you, but you can't come into a man's house and ruin his towels. I mean, it's true, but Vincent Vega just seems like he's shit at his job. Yeah. He's always taking dumps. Yeah, that's true. He does get killed on the toilet. Well, and then he goes to the toilet in the, in the diner. Yeah, that's true. He misses out on like some important mm. stuff. It's because he's on a heroin. Why does Bruce Willis stop to make Pop-Tarts? He wants... He's in such a rush. Yeah, but he thinks people are going to be looking for him in his house. He goes to his house and no one's there. Yeah, which means that if anything, they might be about to arrive. If that was me, I'd count my no, lessons. You I'd figure, the watch you figure that's move. the first place they go. I'd quickly pop up my bum and I'd make a loop. And then you get the Uzi. Yeah. But that's not his, is it? Cause no, it's Vincent Vegas. Vincent Vegas, yeah. Yeah. That's how he knows it, because he just looks at the gun. Yeah, he's like, hmm. hmm. That's not what I put in the toaster. I put Pop-Tarts in the toaster. He doesn't put the gun in the toaster. No, oh, that's true. That's true, you got me. We're actually skipping ahead. Are we, though? Huh? Not much, not taking ahead much in the timeline. 
Mm. I mean, we actually are because yeah. that is it's quite a lot later. So what, like, the timeline of this film would start with Jules and Vince in the car, and it would end with, so, and then you'd have the Bruce Willis riding off, yes, on Zed's bike, right? Like that's so that that would be the beginning and the end if you yeah. went, went linearly. Uh, and then in the middle, you'd have the the dinosaur scene and the boxing scene and the the other dinosaur scene. There's two dinosaur scenes, I suppose. Yeah, well, so you'd have, yeah, because I mean, you kind of, you kind of, you do see it all. Fiasco. There's no, there's not really anything you need to skip. Like it doesn't actually skip any parts. It just moves around. Yeah, because you see them obviously get washed off. You see why they're in the wrong clothes. Then you see them go to the diner in their wrong clothes. They have the whole yes. exchange, which yeah. ends the film, and then you see them turn up at. Marcellus Wallace's and someone says like why, why are you in those clothes yeah they don't do- yeah they look like dogs and then I guess there's a you there's a break in Vince's storyline because at some point he gets dressed again in proper clothes and goes to look for Bruce Willis yeah but then also you see Uma Thurman later and she walks past Vince she says thank you for dinner oh okay and he says no problem yeah so you kind of pretty much see yeah, it all yeah. but the point is I think that the plot is uh kind of meaningless like point it's, uh, yeah well i think it's interesting that you almost like other than i suppose them carrying out the hit at the beginning you really don't see at a lot of the main bits that kind of kick things off like you don't see the fight you don't see the fight you just see all the conversation with the cabbie afterwards you know yeah. like that's kind of what and even when it comes to like the hit it's a pretty small part of it the bigger part of it is them Walk, like walking around sitting in the car talking about cheeseburgers and foot rubs like he's kind of concerned what's mostly your, with making a film about people talking about things what's your point of view on the foot rub what what in in what way so is, is it okay that someone gave his wife a foot rub oh i see um i, I suppose that really depends on the context but i don't think you i don't think you'd throw something out of a window you think that's that. an overreaction yeah i agree <laughs> yeah i think it probably is an overreaction but it's Marcellus Wallace isn't it and then you get maybe the best scene of this film is when Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta walk into there uh, the guy I can't remember what else he's in he plays it really well yeah ben. yeah yeah um, they walk into his and then Marcel, uh, Samuel L. Jackson gives his speech delivers the Ezekiel yeah uh, I can't remember it's Ezekiel twenty one seventeen. Maybe it's actually not the. It's like thematically almost similar, and the la- the the end, like that. I will you and you will know I am the Lord when I lay my yeah. hands upon thee, or whatever. Like, I think that is actually the correct. But the whole preceding bit, it's, it's just all nonsense. Fa- it's all fabricated. I mean, it's all like this. Even mentions in the end of the film that the, the soul speech is kind of yeah, but in the sense that like it's not actually from the Bible, but it's yeah. it kind of follows some of the similar similar verbiage from that chapter verbiage? of the Bible. Yeah, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going with verbiage. V R B I A G E. I A. Yeah. Verbiage. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced verbiage. Okay. Uh, anywho, but I think like I quite like that, that at the beginning of the film he gives this powerful biblical speech. Yeah, and he says at the end, I just thought it sounded like a sounded like a cool thing Marco to say before. Say, yeah, Capena, brother. Yeah. Um, I think I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try and use brother. Because Which there's a lot Quentin Tarantino obviously did not want to do. It seems no, like it was his dream to not do that. There's a lot of N-words in this film. And most of which is a lot of them. Yeah, this is probably my only like major issue with the film is... Okay, so... Uh, well, I think, I think there's also another one, but we can get to that. 
Yeah? I think the rape scene is a uh, step too far. You think it's too much to put actually I put think if screen? you put some other genders in that room and it becomes very problematic. And I don't think... Yeah, so uh, from what I read, uh, that was actually like a conversation. I, I, it kind of skipped over. Um, I was reading about the production of this film and Uma yeah. Thurman was talking about meeting with uh, Tarantino and she was really hesitant to do the film because of just the different various content in it. And yeah. the fact that it had rape in it was one of the things that was concerning her. And I, like, But it's fully shown. And she was saying that, you know, they were talking about the difference between male rape and female rape and yeah. all sorts of stuff. And they didn't go into too much detail about what their conversations were. Like they went out for dinner, supposedly, and um, over the course of the evening, you know, Tarantino was trying to convince her because he really thought that she'd be right for the film. Yeah. And she wasn't sure she wanted to be involved in a film like that. Uh, but that kind of is what it said to me, maybe they were talking about, was, can you do that? You know, like like you say, you, you, cha- you change the yeah, I, I, I don't. For... I don't know if, uh, I, I don't have a fully formed opinion on it, but, no, it I, also see, feels I do like see what you mean. Bruce Willis takes such a long time. But then is it not is it not a kind of similar thing as where if you show racism in a film, if there's a film that has themes of racism in it, it's not really as taboo when it's, say, people being um, prejudiced against whites. Because I, yeah, I'm not saying it's an equivalent. I just think... There's something, there's maybe a conversation to be had there. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Bruce Willis takes so like he Bruce Willis just lets it happen for quite a while. Yeah, while he walks slowly. Up Apparently, the actually, Ving Rhames just was not bothered about it. Like he actually quite was quite into the idea because he was like, uh, I read a quote from him somewhere that was like, "Looking the way I do, I don't often get a chance to play somebody who actually finds themselves like to oh, show okay. their vulnerability." Yeah. So like being able to play a character that finds himself in a vulnerable situation does he, he show his like, vulnerability? I don't. Well, I guess because directly afterwards he says, "I'm gonna color." couple of what's he say i'm gonna yeah call a couple of henchmen who are gonna like pipe do some do some work with some dentistry equipment or Mm. something yeah maybe not but that but even then his the brutality that he brings to that character after the situation is showing that he's trying to make up for his like wounded ego and that that, but anyway that was what he 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 immediately takes control of the situation and say here's what's gonna happen yeah and i i don't know i think I do. Agree, I do see what you're saying. Um, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying necessarily. But you don't uh, know if it's. Yeah, it, it struck me as something I wouldn't have picked up on, or I did. I just blown it off. But absolutely, if uh, you're absolutely right that if that was a a, a rape yeah, of a and, woman and in, I, a, I, in a film, that would be just like a really because it's also quite a flippant way of doing it, especially yes, with the fact that yeah, like a I pop guess, song playing over the background. That's and, my my issue. My what sticks my craw is that it's. Just flippantly. It's done. a little bit flippant. Bruce Willis just watches it happen for a bit while very slowly walking up to the guy with the sword. Yeah, and I guess it's hard because of. So Tarantino said, um, supposedly said to John Travolta once the film had come, like once the film was finished, that he didn't know he was making a comedy. But John Travolta brought a lot of comedy to the rock. Like, didn't he? He wasn't. He wasn't setting out to make a comedy. But in okay. uh, his portrayal of the character, right. he felt like John Travolta made it really funny. And uh, Samuel Jackson is also. But a really lot of funny. a lot of the film is very funny, and I yeah. think this is that's another kind of issue with that shot in particular, where it is it catches you off guard because it's yeah. just like oh you didn't expect to see that so like just framed just right there. Okay, yeah. But I th- because of how it, the tone of the film, it is like a black comedy, and so it's almost hard to know whether it's supposed to be taken yes, for laughs yeah. a little bit, which is maybe a bit problematic. But the other big problematic thing is. is 
Quentin Tarantino. Firstly, Quentin Tarantino's acting. He always puts himself in his films and he's always bad. Yeah. yeah. He's a bad actor. He can't that act. scene with the cop where he's trying to uh, have a go at, is it Vincent Vega? Mm-hmm. For telling him he's got good coffee. He's like, I know I can buy the coffee. I buy the coffee. I buy the fucking good coffee. And it's oh, it's cringy. He he's is, really bad. He is a terrible the, his, the worst one's Django. I don't remember him in Django. Because he tries to put on, uh, is it an Australian accent he does in Django? And it's... I've only, I only saw Django at the cinema. I haven't seen it since. So there's a point in Django where it feels like the film's supposed to end. And then Quentin Tarantino shows up. And then there's like 20 more minutes. And mm. it's like, literally, you could just take out everything from just the moment before he comes in. Right. And it like that whole scene, from him being in it, he's not in it for that whole last section. He's only in it for a bit. He's the guy that gets blown up with all the dynamite. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he sucks in it. And then the rest of the film also just starts to feel like it's dragging. And you're like... Okay, that's the moment when you fall out of it. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, he's bad. So he was thinking of playing. He was either going to play Jimmy or the dealer. You know, the dealer is really good. Yeah. So he uh, with Eric Stoltz is the guy that plays yeah. uh, the dealer. I can't remember his name now, the character's name. But he, when he sent in the script, he said, "I want you to read for either of the robed. There's two robed characters basically, and I want you to play." So when turn, he just wanted to play. A guy in a robe in a film. I guess. I think he could be racist. And so what Eric, I think his name's Eric Stoltz, the actor. What he said was that he he guessed that the reason he um, was leaning towards having him play the dealer was because obviously he, the dealer was involved in the adrenaline shot scene and right. trying to direct that scene while also being in it would have just been a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. That was his assumption. Um, but to me, I'm like, it's it's kind of bad enough when you're a writer and you write a film with a white character using the n-word in front of a black character i mean just anyway but in front of a black yeah. character when it's con- completely it not necessarily yeah. not necessary it's not a film like you watch something like american history x or something and the words get thrown around but you can't really make that film without the film needs those words because yeah. it is about white supremacist he is not a white supremacist he's not framed as such there's no reason for him to say that word especially in front of another black character and he is anyway says yeah. it quite a lot of times for no yeah. reason that's bad enough to write that character to then be like you know who's going to play that character it's me i'm going to play that character it feels like it, one of his dreams is being able to say that word as much as possible yeah and then you look at like django and yeah you think he says you it's think like the word you think the n word is used a lot in this film yeah it's used i think i looked it up it's oh the word fuck is used like 250 times in this yeah. film uh, and yeah and that word is used also a lot i don't know how many times but but that really does feel like, yeah. It, I think he it, really wanted to say that word. There's like this. There's a weird kind of white guy out there that, for some reason, is obsessed with finding a situation in which they are allowed to use that mm. word with impunity. Yeah, I don't know why that is a thing you want to do. Um, I think it's Donald Glover has like a whole stand-up bit about this, where he's just like, "Why do you? Why is everyone so obsessed with yeah. being allowed to say this word?" He's like, "It's not that great." Like don't get me wrong sometimes it's because he does a bit about like he's like, i used it in the car you know i was trying to put on my seatbelt and i was like yeah um and he's just like you could use it wherever but like other than it's not it's not great yeah it's not a superpower but like there is like a certain breed of white guy who is like i really want to say it but i don't want to be racist how can i manufacture a situation that's why they always have conversations with their black friends like oh what if i'm rapping along to a song can i say yeah. it like no just don't yeah just don't easy but he seems like one of these guys that is determined to be like, no, I can say it because it's in the fiction. And it's like, but that character doesn't need to say that word ever. I think it's probably partly because uh, we're allowed to do everything yeah. that we want. With complete impunity. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we have been for all time. So, yeah. Uh, so that really rang like such a, uh, it's just, I could just, t- just swap him with someone else and just take 
that word out. Yeah, so, and, yeah. And, and if and, and, like and, scenes, um, and if you're gonna have that word in, don't play the role yourself. Yeah, like that is such a bad look. Mm. I think because well, Harvey Keitel was so good, mm-hmm. uh, and Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta are so good in those scenes. Uh, just there's no need for him to be in this film. And that whole sequence is one of the more memorable in the film. I yes. must admit, though, watching it again, it still is cool. And the wolf is still cool. Wolf is still cool, yeah. But the fact that he's now on the direct line adverts has kind of ruined it a little bit for me. Is he? Oh, is he? Have you seen those? No, I didn't really watch um, live TV. Yeah, so he is the guy. He like So the, the whole direct line crop of adverts at the moment is like various people getting themselves into... Like their, the their, wolf their, their boiler breaks or something. And then... Oh, he Harvey comes Kytel up, fixes the problem. Turns up yeah. and goes, oh, you've got insurance, right? Or whatever. And then mm. says like, oh, with direct line, you know? The idea being that they're efficient or what, but kind of dampened it a little bit for me because then that whole sequence did kind of feel like a direct yeah. line ad. But okay. it is still good. Because he, he's the, one of the best, well, I don't know if it's one of the best bits. I just like when he goes, how, how far away is it? It's 30 minutes? And he goes, I'll be there in 10. Yeah, and it's just nine, nine minutes and 37 seconds, seconds later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they were skipping ahead. I don't know if we want to go in order. I think people know the plot, don't they? Yeah. Uh, like you said, there's not a huge amount of plot. I mean, it gets, so it goes... Well, I think there is a huge amount of plot. I just don't think it's all that... Uh, short... Yeah, there's quite a lot of plot. There's not necessarily a huge amount of story, I guess. Yeah. Um, short Dino prologue. There's the hit. Which is great. Which is really, really great. Um, does he look like a bitch? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What does... Have you have you seen Marcel as well? What does he look like? Uh, he's bald. He's black. Does he look like a bitch? Then why are you trying to fuck him like a bitch? What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. He's black. Go on. He's bald. Does he look like a bitch? What? Does he look like a bitch? No! Then why are you trying to fuck him like a bitch, Brent? <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, that's really good. He does the whole Ezekiel speech, which is like probably the best. Most famous, at least. Yeah. yeah. Quite possibly the best line delivery. Yeah. But that's the point. On like the whole he, in this he film. delivers just... that line as if it's really important. And then later in the film, he's like, it just sounds yeah, cool. It just sounds good. And you're like, yeah, it does sound good. You're right. Uh, so then. And then it ends before you see the culmination of that scene. Because obviously you come back to that when he has the... Well, you see them not get shot. Yeah, but then it literally ends. Yeah. No, you don't. Do you? I thought... Because when you go back to that scene, it starts with the guy with the gun in the bathroom and you you hear him deliver the speech, but through the wall. Okay. And then he comes out. So maybe he comes out and shoots, but you don't see like the context. And anyway, then it moves to the... Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. Which... Is another really? I would say probably the weakest storyline is the, the watch one. The yeah, the I think that watch scene in general is strange. It does I think the, oh, the, the watch whole scene, the Christopher Walken bit. The Christopher Walken scene just doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the film. No, but it's kind of engaging though. Yeah, Christopher Walken's really good. It's, it's that is weird to me that like if uh, like in the uh, the script apparently that's like eight pages. It's like a four minute monologue. It's like eight pages of just one character talking. Oh really? And it's like. Most people would just look at that and be like, "But that's just a terrible thing to have in a script." Yeah. But if you hire Christopher Walken to deliver it, it will be at least engaging. It is engaging. It is you could take that out and it would be fine. 
Yeah, I, I like guess. The scene. I, I guess the I guess the idea is that they're just trying to justify why he goes because like if he just went back for the watch. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, where's my watch? And then got really mad at his girlfriend and was like, that was that was my dad's watch. I need that watch. <sighs> People would be like, where the fuck are you going back and putting yourself in that much danger for a watch? Yeah, true. And also, they go into a lot of But it's of also just very funny. About Chris, Christopher Walken going into a lot of detail about the Vietnam War. and It's, uh, a, funny, it's a funny monologue. As he pushed the watch in his ass, yeah. Yeah. Puts you the wanna... watch in his ass. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good monologue. It's funny. Mm. I remember when I watched this the first time with Vince Vega and Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to switch in and out of characters and actors' names. Sure. Uh, I didn't know that he was on heroin, and that she. Well, I knew that she was on coke because she explicitly takes coke, but yeah. I, I just wasn't quite aware that he was on heroin. I guess they literally show a, a close-up of the needle going into his arm, though. Well, he says I want to. Sh- I don't know if they should see the needle, but you yeah, do. Oh, you, you, do. you literally see the needle going. But into I just, his arm. I kind of just. I guess there's a cut. From that there's scene. kind of a cut though, so it's like. I don't know, I th- you could probably read it as like that was earlier and now this yeah. is like later or ne- the next day or something. But Yeah, and then they're just that scene when he's clearly just off his face on heroin and she's coked up. Yes. Yeah. I think I really like it. I think they both pay. That whole well. sequence is amazing. So that set was the most expensive thing in the film. Yes. Um, this film was really cheap. Yeah. Uh, $8 million. With these actors, that must have been pretty much all. Actors. No, so they came up with a solution for the actors, which was basically to pay them all the same by week. So they each, anyone that was working on the film earned $20,000 a week oh, shit. while they were on the film. Right. John Travolta was working on the film for seven weeks. So you got 140K. You'd assume he was probably there the most of the That's actors. That's not a lot for John Travolta. John no. Travolta is a weird choice of... John Travolta was what, like 20 years from Greece at this point? Should we talk about casting? Yeah, okay. Oh, wait, we're on page two? We've missed all this production stuff, but I'll pepper it. Okay, well, we'll go back to that. Travolta casting. Okay. Tarantino loved Travolta. Yeah. Basically. Um, he grew up loving a lot of the stuff that he'd done. Because he's in the, the best film of all time? Love Actually, yeah. Greece. Uh, yeah, yeah. But obviously his career was in like a... So not what had he good... done up to now? Like... So he, what he was doing at that time was like he was making the Look Who's Talking films. So they were like big money films, but not very well. Like... Right. Artistically, not particularly. Yeah. So his career was kind of a bit marred by that. And he was like kind of in a bit of a dump in terms of just like uh, pedigree, you know, like yeah. prestige. So, uh, but he loved him and he wanted to meet him basically. And what ended up happening was John Travolta went over to Quinstantino's house. They stayed up all night getting to know each other, chatting and everything. Yeah. And at the time, um, Tarantino was working on, so the, I, I've got the, on the Blu-ray, there's some special features and it does some, in, it, there's like some interviews with each of the cast members okay. talking about meeting him and making the film and everything. Um, what I don't like about any of the stuff you see around this film, people talking about it, interviews and stuff, is this, oh, they always refer to Tarantino like he's this deity of filmmaking that, or whatever. Yeah. And like, right, I do like Tarantino's films and like it almost annoys me that I like this film as much as I do because yeah. I, like, I get the feeling that like he's the kind of guy that will look around online for like good reviews of his films and like whack off to him. <laughs> Yeah, that's Tarantino. You know, I would say I love two of Tarantino's films. I think, like when people say that he's like one of the heralds of the modern day cinema, or whatever. Like I, that shit gets him hard, and you know it because he he agrees, and he, oh, get, yeah. and he literally is just like. You he's imagine just, he's directing the film, going, "I am heralded." He's just covered in so. agreement and pre cum mm-hmm. already. You know, like <laughs> he's covered in pre cum. <laughs> he's slippery with the stuff <laughs> from the waist down, just <laughs> gushing. 
famously produces a lot of pre-cut yeah, yeah, Tarantino. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a um, and it kind of annoys me that you just you just know that he fucking loves when people yeah. talk about how brilliant he is. And Which people, is why people I think call him a genius and stuff some like of his that. Films suck. I think mm. I don't know if they maybe they don't suck. I'm being a bit harsh, but I didn't love Django. Uh, hatefully, I yeah, that's didn't. Not great. I only watched a bit of Hateful Eight and turned off. Either. I don't know Death Proof. That's an earlier one. Um, Kill Bill, I quite like. Volume one, I quite like. I didn't love volume two. Like, yeah, true. I didn't love volume two. I love Inglorious. I think Inglorious. I think Inglorious. My f- so okay. Um, we'll talk about Travolta again in a minute. Here we go. Okay. Is this Quentin Tarantino's best film? Uh, no, Inglorious. You think Inglorious, Inglorious is so well put together and so well acted? I think Inglorious is. Christoph Waltz is stunning in that film. So my my three Tarantinos. Are Inglorious, yeah. Jackie Brown, and Pulp Fiction, yeah, and I would say their ordering can pretty much change. Um, what we've just seen, yeah, I would probably put Jackie Brown and Inglorious just a touch above Pulp Fiction. But again, yeah. where they come, I think like I'm definitely endeared to Jackie Brown a bit more because I think it's his most underrated one. Right. Um, so I kind of like almost sing its praises more loudly. I think everyone recognizes Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards as being Glorious Bastards is Brad Pitt's best performance. Yeah, maybe. I think I feel like we've talked about this before. <laughs> on this podcast? On this podcast. Okay. Maybe this or Seven. Okay. Yeah, no, I prefer Men Glorious. I think I prefer Men Glorious as well. Yeah. Anyway, if we talk uh, about Or Moneyball. He is great at Moneyball. That's a good shout. But I still, I still put Men Glorious. Not Travolta. Travolta. So they talk all night. At the time, mm. Tarantino was working on scripts for Pulp Fiction uh, well, Pulp Fiction was kind of underway in terms of production at this point, but he was also working on From Dust Till Dawn, vampire film. Yeah. And he wanted Travolta for that. But Travolta like wasn't really a vampire guy and wasn't really into it. He was kind of much more interested in this Pulp Fiction idea that yeah. uh, Tarantino had. But uh, Tarantino already wanted, he'd already planned to get like to cast um, Michael Madsen. Yes, Michael Madsen is in... Reservoir Dogs Kill Bill. and Kill Bill. He's in a bunch of Tarantinos. And yeah. he was the original choice to play... Vince Vega. Okay, because I heard someone else really wanted this role. Mm-hmm. Which is Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. So what ends up happening is Michael Madsen has already, had already agreed to take a part in another film. Right. So eventually Quentin Tarantino calls up Travolta and is like, the role's there if you want it. Yeah. You can have it. Basically, okay, so to give a bit of context to this, we could probably just, we could just go through some of the like earlier production stuff of the film. Yeah. Right. So, um, Tarantino meets Danny DeVito on the premiere of Terminator 2, at the premiere for Terminator 2. Because Danny DeVito produced this, didn't he? Yes. Right. So uh, Danny DeVito had a first look deal with TriStar. So TriStar is the first company they go to. uh, Right. And I think there's some internal battling there, but ultimately they decide to pass, I think because they felt like it was too violent and grotesque and stuff like that. It was controversial, yeah. Yeah. So then Daddy DeVito takes it to Miramax, which is where the dreaded Weinstein name has to come up. Yeah. So he takes it to Harvey Weinstein at um, Miramax. And basically he loves the script and it goes ahead there. Yeah. So then they go into casting and um, they Tarantino ends up with like a list of names of people he wants. And he sends it off and basically the guys at Miramax approve them all except John Travolta. They're literally like everything. The only condition is why have you got this guy whose career is no tank? No one wants to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What is this? Um, but basically, eventually, what happens is he will not budge 
John Travolta gets right. to the point when um, Lawrence Bender, I think, uh, is maybe the guy involved in this, who is the, I think he's the producer on this film. Right. Uh, he is but kind of like, look, you've got to say yes to what's like, to the current state that we're working so we can move yeah, yeah. forward or I'm going to someone else because there are other people that are interested. Um, and from the story, he literally was like on the phone counting down like giving him a countdown 15 seconds and eventually they like they were just like okay yeah fine let's just do it so then <laughs> that's such a not bad thing to do i know so then uh that's kind of how travolta gets brought in but nobody want like they didn't want him because he wasn't bankable yeah um so that's kind of how travolta gets brought in because tarantino loves him mm. um and eventually and it just obviously it works out like he ends up getting the uh, best actor Oscar nomination. Who did it? Yeah, for lead. Uh, Samuel Jackson got the supporting nomination. Yes. But you're kind of right to think, like, why would they cast him? And, like, they didn't want to. He's the production really company good. didn't yeah. want to. It's only really um, Quentin Tarantino that does. Yeah. And, like, the interview with John Travolta on the special feature of the DVD, like, he seems to be, like, kind of smitten with Tarantino because he kind of credits him with reviving his entire career, which, yeah. in fairness, this film did, basically. So the other person, Uma Thurman, is his... He calls Uma Thurman his muse. Yeah. He thinks she is like the most wonderful actress. Mm. Don't know if I'm on board. She's me. good. She's good. Sorry, I just remember what we were, what actually, I kind of realized that I was telling you about Travolta for a reason. I've kind of forgotten. But anyway, it is when they reject Travolta, yeah. Miramax comes back and they say, look, we can get Daniel Day-Lewis. We can get John Hurt. We can get like any of these people. Any, these and huge Daniel Day-Lewis had got hold of the script at that point and wanted to do it. Yeah. So can imagine Daniel Day-Lewis doing this role. What do you think of it? Yeah. So here's some here's some other casting. Have you have you done your gem, your usual casting? Uh, uh, I did a bit. I didn't do loads, but I did. So a bit. what I've got here is that um, so we've got yeah Daniel Day Lewis for Vince Vega. Other possibles for Mia were Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I think she'd have been okay. Meg Ryan. Yeah, I can I can see Meg Ryan doing it more. Holly than Hunter. I don't know about Holly Hunter. Rosanna Arquette. Who does end up actually being in the movie? Who's Rosanna Arquette? Uh, she's the drug dealer's partner with all the piercings. Yes. Judy, I think her name is. See, I think of those, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is probably the one that I can see doing it the most. Is she a bit too feminine and pretty? I don't know. I, but I mean, she just, but she done Batman Returns. Batman Returns. Yeah, true. Um, like, uh, that, I think, I mean, all three of them, Pfeiffer, Ryan, and Hunter, are all good yes like they're all good actresses so i think they could probably do it. i think i would say probably meg ryan would be the one that i wouldn't see in that role but this yeah. is kind of one of those films where like you can talk about other casting choices but it just never feels right because what yes, we've got exactly. just feels I can't, I can't imagine anyone but bruce willis doing. if i can just bring it back to daniel, uh, daniel, daniel Lewis, Lewis, yeah he takes this role mm-hmm. he, if he takes a role he gets into his role right if you he, think he if, becomes a you think he becomes if, a hitman well if he's a dressmaker he learns how to make dresses. Yeah. If he is a heroin addict hitman, you think he takes what does heroin such killing people? I think probably Daniel Lewis would now be in jail. Yeah, probably. Hmm. I bet. I bet he'd have shot. He'd have shot up at least once. Yeah. You, uh, which John Travolta specifically said he didn't want to do, and uh, <laughs> John Travolta said he didn't want to take heroin. But what he did do was get in touch with a street addict and ask him about it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine John Travolta just walking? He just walk up to someone. I don't know how they got in touch with them, but apparently he had like a consultant on what heroin was, and he told him if he wanted to try and replicate the feeling without taking heroin, was to drink as much tequila as he could and sit in a warm bath. <laughs> <laughs> which I immediately did. 
after seeing the film, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've spent every night doing it. I can't stop. <laughs> it's actually... Have you considered just taking heroin? It sounds a lot easier. It's moorish. Mm. Really like moorish. Once you've done it once. Mm. Yeah, it's like Pringles. Once you pop, you it's difficult yeah. to stop. Yeah, it's hard. Really difficult. Possible. Although Pringles would have had you believe otherwise. They say you can't stop, but... That, that either sounds like a physical impossibility, which isn't true, or like a threat, which I don't like. Do you think Pringles are... Threatening everyone. Yeah. You can't, no, don't... You're not allowed. You can't stop. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I think maybe this does things to Daniel Day-Lewis' life. Yeah. Probably not good things. I don't think he'd have been as good as John Travolta. I think he brings too much gravitas. Yeah, I also think there is a really nice element about John Travolta being John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever yeah. in the dance scene. Yes, because he's a good dancer. He's he a, a great dancer. dancer. So that dance originally, um, supposedly, was just going to be the twist. Okay. But then, because John Travolta was there, he was saying like, hey, I twisted. I was yeah. a tw- I was a, I'm yeah, a twisty yeah. guy. Um, I twisted. <laughs> he's twisted, yeah. And uh, they had all sorts of variants. So, you know, he was saying like about the Batman, mm. um, the swimming, stuff like that. And so he was the one that kind of introduced all those things and they were just running through them and kind of riffing. And they spent like a lot of, like a whole day almost like filming loads of different dancing and stuff like that. But that dance when, when he's like, he's off his face on heroin, he's just like really slowing down. Yeah. And she's going nuts because she's, uh, she's on coke. Is That's great. That whole dance, the whole dance yeah. was great. I mean, like, to be fair, this is one of the most recognizable, iconic, and quotable films probably Absolutely. ever made, yeah. certainly of the 90s. Yeah. Like, it is a defining film of the 90s for that. I mean, that is a tasty burger. They're almost all Samuel L. Jackson, to be fair. There's just, there's just so many things, but this is one of those really quotable films in which you can u- you use the quotes in everyday conversation yeah you know like yeah. people will just bust them out they'll literally take a how many times have you been eating a burger and someone will actually say it's a tasty burger it's a tasty burger this is a tasty burger that is what he's so good at and it's that kind of like heightened realism dialogue that tarantino nails and yeah. this is maybe the best example of it in terms of just what feel like kind of sharp sharpened heightened but real people talking in that real like he's really good at writing that kind of dialogue that sounds like real speech but isn't real speech because it takes away all the boring bits like okay you know do you kind of see what i mean like yeah a good dialogue writer that. just kind of like it sounds like how real people talk it sounds believable but nobody actually talks like that because they take away all the boring crappy bits and they like really heighten the point and they're like the quotability and because you can kind pick, of if it. someone just read dialogue to you, you could pick quentin tarantino's dialogue out of a yeah out of a lineup say yeah, same way as you kind of can with Sorkin or something yeah, like that. Although yeah. I think, I think Tarantino is probably a better screenwriter than Sorkin. Yeah, I think we spoke I think about Sorkin. At, last I think week, at his best, Sorkin is pretty fucking good. Social Network is Social Network is a great script. Yeah. Um, Moneyball is a great script. Yes, but uh, I don't know. Sorkin's got his ups and downs. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so basically they've got most of the cast right, but there's still no bankable star. This is pre-Samuel L. Jackson. I think Samuel L. Jackson was on board, but bear in mind, this really kicked Samuel L. Jackson's career after... off. Okay. Like in a big way. Is this not after Jackie Brown? No. Oh, okay. This is his second film. Right. He's literally made Reservoir Dogs before this. Right, okay. So Reservoir Dogs gets made, because basically Reservoir Dogs gets made as soon once they bring on Harvey Keitel. Because, um, so Lawrence Bender is involved in Reservoir Dogs, and then they get Harvey Keitel on board, and that's how, because of Harvey Keitel's name, that's how they managed to secure the funding to make Reservoir Dogs. Uh, okay. Um, so then after that, 
Tarantino's getting loads of job offers from everywhere because people like Reservoir Dogs. But he is, his thing was like, my first film I made completely on my own, I had all the control. I don't now want to go into the studio system and do yeah, true. a job, you know, like, yeah. and that's kind of sets his career on course for him to just keep making these independent mm. films. So then he wants to make Pulp Fiction. Um, I think originally he started with the idea for Pulp Fiction before he'd even written Reservoir Dogs. I that. And then Pulp Fiction was going to be three... Three stories, three, yeah. Three completely separate stories. So and he was going to write one of them. Yes. So he's work. he was working at a video store. It's just like a, literally like a store clerk at a video rental store. Okay. Um, one of the guys he was working with called Roger Avery, the two of them decide that Tarantino is going to write one story. Mm. Roger Avery is going to write another one, which is the Butch story that we see in Pulp Fiction, yeah. the boxer. And then someone else was going to write a third story, but they never ended up finding a third writer. So I think Tarantino took that on as well. Because a lot of people say Roger Avery effectively wrote this film. Yeah, I think I think he wrote the majority. Like he mostly wrote the Butch, the Bruce Willis story. Yeah, which uh, I think I would put that as the weakest. Yeah, so I would think I. it's well acted. But I put that. As Tarantino the has said that he did not write the script. Oh, didn't he? As, as in Roger Avery didn't write the script. Oh, uh, Roger Avery. Roger did. Avery gave him the idea for the story, right? Which was the launch pad. But then Tarantino wrote the script after that. Um, and then what actually happened? This kind of this was a little bit uh, unclear because it says that Tarantino kind of requested that um avery allow him like take his name off the written by credit and just have a story by credit so he could be written directed by. so that it could say written and directed by quentin tarantino yeah. and then uh avery was like no i don't want to do that and basically what tarantino said was well if you don't agree i will just write a new section of the film and then you won't be like mm. and then event so eventually um avery agreed and supposedly felt betrayed but Talking to Avery, like more recently, he has no recollection of that. Talking to Avery, yeah, yeah. yeah when you when you and Avery are chatting, when I go up with Avery, I caught with Rog. He said that he has no recollection of that happening. So who knows? That could just be one of those yeah. stories, you know. Um, so yeah, the, what basically happens is the story that uh, that Tarantino starts writing when he's supposed to be working on this thing with Roger Avery turns into Reservoir Dogs. Okay, so he writes Reservoir, and he's like, "I don't want to make this now." So he makes that that as its own film. And then yeah. Pop Fiction comes later. I think that's a good way around to have them, personally. I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs in a while, but yeah. I remember enjoying it. Reservoir Dogs is good. Yeah. yeah. It's not as good as Pop Fiction. Yeah. It, it's clearly like a debut effort, but yeah. it's a decent debut effort. Uh, so then that's... So yeah, Harvey Keitel kind of gets that uh, made. And then Harvey Keitel is obviously already involved because he knows Tarantino. I think he's already involved with Pop Fiction. Yeah. So they've got a lot of the cast, but they still don't have this like bankable star that they want. So then what happens is Harvey Keitel finds himself at Bruce Willis's house. He just finds himself there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I read something like he was picking his daughter up from Bruce Willis's house. But there's no context given on why she was at <laughs> Bruce Willis's house. So. You know why she was at Bruce Willis's house. <laughs> so anyway, Harvey Keitel is picking up his daughter from Bruce Willis's house and <laughs> mentions to Bruce Willis that a crime to Tarantino is working on a new film. Apparently Willis like loved Reservoir Dogs. Okay. He just thought it was the shit and was like, mm. I want to work with that guy. Yeah. Um, I will even accept a reduced fee from my standard $5 million per picture fee that he was working on at the time. Yeah. Like, Bruce Willis at this so time is like he... one of the biggest people in Hollywood. Yeah. So what's he done up to now? Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good film. I love Die it's Hard. It's big. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, big. Armageddon's after this. 
Yeah, I think so. Let's have a look. At, let's do of... Willis. Let's have a look at Willis. This is this after Six Cent. He's got more hair in Six Cent and Unbreakable. Six Cent is ninety nine, isn't it? Is it really? I think so. This is well before. He's definitely got a lot more hair in uh, Six Cent. He does. Oh, uh, but didn't he wear hair for Six Cent? Oh, okay. I don't know. That makes more sense. Well, well, more. Damn it. I want to make, there's a joke there. So he's in Die Hard 2 in 99, in 90. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Die Hard, because Die Hard 1 is 89, isn't it? Did they do 1 and then 2, like, back to, like, back to back like that? Uh, Die Hard is 88. 88, And then right. 89. So, uh, Bonfire the Vanities, Mortal Thought, Last Boy Scout, a lot of films I've never heard of. Last Boy Scout was quite big, I think. I don't, it wasn't great, but it was big. Loaded Weapon 1. Sure. But anyway, he's, he's big. Uh, like, he's big. Yeah, yeah, he's a in Hollywood a star. So they basically bring him on board. I think he was a little bit peeved that he wasn't going to be the lead. Who would you say was the lead? John Travolta. He gets the nom- he gets the Oscar nomination. You think for he's lead the lead of this film? Yeah, yeah. He's in the most of it. He's in, he's in Jules, three. He's yeah, in he's Jules in Vince, and three. he's and then you do also kind of see him in. He's the one that ties the whole thing together. True. Okay. And he's the protagonist of the Mia story. Yeah, yeah. And you'd say him and Jules kind of are split protagonists of the... Oh, it is a Jules story. But okay. uh, yeah, it, it is, but he is pretty... He's there the whole time. Okay, fair enough. So I think he was a bit peeved that he wasn't going to be the lead. But eventually got over it and did the film. And at that point, Miramax are happy because they're like, right, we've got... And I. so as far as I could tell, kind of on the back of Bruce Willis being involved, before the film production even began, they'd sold the foreign rights for $11 million. Wow, yeah. So they'd already made a profit before they even started shooting the right. fucking thing. And it was, so eight million is ludicrously cheap. Insanely cheap. So, But Tarantino was determined that he didn't want this to look like a cheap film. He said he wanted it to look like a $25 million film. So, let's get, uh, let's oh, get we go, nerdy. We go in production. Let's get nerdy. Okay. <laughs> because he wanted it to look more expensive than it was, yeah. they bought the cheapest, uh, the cheapest? They bought the slowest film that Kodak made at the time. So obviously it's shot on film. Yeah. We're in 94, yeah. still shooting on film. Probably 93, I guess. Uh, and they bought the cheapest film that Kodak made. Okay. So if it, for anyone that doesn't kind of know how this used to work, on like digital cameras, you have uh, an ISO value, which basically dictates like how uh, much light you need kind of thing, right? So a high ISO value means you can shoot in low light. It's like, means the um, sensor becomes sensitive to what light there is. Right. The way you used to have to do that back on film was the ISO value would be attached to the actual film. So you'd have slow film and fast film. Slow film would be not very sensitive to light, but it would maintain a really, really high image quality. High, uh, high speed film, would you could shoot in low light, but it would be really grainy. Because he wants this to look as like crystal clear as possible, mm. he bought the slowest film the Kodak have, which meant that they had to use these like incre- insane, like really bright sort of fluorescent lights. Okay. Which I think you can kind of see in the film because it was yeah, all like especially really bright. The diner, film. The, the diner stuff yeah. is really brightly lit. Yeah. So that's why in a lot of old things you watch, they'll have all films at night. Everything that's at night is just clearly the daytime with filters on the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Because so I remember watching one of the old James Bond films and it's so plainly there, it's the middle of the day. Yeah. But they just it made everything look darker. Yeah. But it's just too hard just, to shoot. They just can't get night. a good quality picture at night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so that was kind of what he wanted. He wanted to, and it I think it does work. Like it doesn't look like a really cheap film. No, I mean this It doesn't s- look like it costs eight million dollars anyway. No, but the sets look tacky when they're supposed to look tacky. Like the the most expensive bit of the film is the 
the dino. I can't remember what the dino's called now. Uh, J- uh, Jack Rabbit Slims. Yeah, so that looks, but it meant it looks tacky. Yeah, it, it does, but it's a good, it's a pretty, it's a very it's good a set, really especially with those little set. car booths and, yeah. Yeah. Um, but everything. Steve Buscemi's every, in there. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. I was trying to think, everyone who is in Reservoir Dogs is pretty much in, like Tim Roth. Yeah. Uh, Buscemi, Keitel. Yeah, it's only Madsen that's not in it. Yeah, and he was nearly in it. So yeah. he normally just pretty much reuses his cast. Yeah. It was just, I, I had no idea Steve Buscemi was in this. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Just, I he guess. the Buddy Holly waiter. Guy. Yeah, yeah. He so, does look a lot like Buddy Holly, actually. Yeah, they do. Yeah, he doesn't mm. look that much like Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Jackson. Samuel L. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Samuel L. Okay. Tarantino said he wrote the role for Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, that makes sense. Apparently. But what happened was... He called him in to read, and Samuel L. Jackson was under the under the uh, impression. Understand? Yeah, impression. Yeah, thank you. No worries. Was under the impression that he was going in just to read, and the role was his. It wasn't an audition. Uh, okay. So he went in and read and whatever. Went back. He was filming something. I think maybe in New York at the time. Obviously, they're doing all the casting in LA. Mm. And uh, and then he gets a call saying that they might be going with someone else because someone else had come in and they'd been so impressed with him that they were thinking about going with it. All right. And so Jackson's like kind of pissed off at this point. Because he thinks he's, Cause he's, he's like, the role's written for him. Yeah, he was like, I don't I didn't think I was auditioning. Mm. So he gets on the phone, he, all of his people get on the phone and yeah. start calling like the production company and everything. And then basically he's told, get back to LA and just go and like fucking do it again and just nail okay, it. Okay, yeah. So he gets in and on the way he gets, a, he goes, um, he picks a, picks a burger and a milkshake because he's, he's hungry. Okay. He arrives. And, oh, 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 just because he's, not because he wants to No, no, because he's literally he's hungry because he's just got off the plane. He's going straight to the thing or whatever. Gets in, yeah. there's, no one to, there's no one there to meet him. Someone, people eventually <laughs> do turn up to greet him and somebody says, oh, hi, I really love your work, Mr. Fishburne. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. So Samuel L. Jackson's like not happy at this point yeah. and he's basically Understandably. just like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to go in, get this fucking done. I, d- mm. I don't, like, I'm kind of over it. Yeah. And then, because I guess that anger just comes out, and he just like he just drinks a shake in front of them, and just like looks like right exactly as he does in the film. Yeah, like completely, and just goes in and just blows them away. Yeah, and uh, they do the diner scene, and he's delivering his monologue for the diner scene, and apparently they credit that audition with how they decided how to end the film. Oh, really? They weren't really sure like what where they were going to end the film, which I guess makes sense because they're making it all out of order, and at some point you've got to make a decision for what is yes, the last bit, yeah. and that was they decided like. That's how I feel. Good, they just want to end it there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, again, one of those things where you're like, imagine, like, there's a world, I guess, where Samuel Jackson just doesn't go back and, you know, because he's in almost every Tarantino film after this as well, right? Yeah, Probably Glorious. He's in Django. Yeah, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. He's in Hateful Eight. Yeah, he's so good. Mm. He's so he's unbelievable. In this film, he is fantastic. Yeah. And like this is, I guess, kind of like is a big moment that really projects him onto like just like proper stardom. So what did he? What did he done up to now? I think uh, a lot of meth. Yes. So he was a drug addict for. He a, was like a proper da- like actually on the streets homeless yeah. drug addict. Yeah. Before he kind of started acting. Um, as for what he'd done, I, yeah, I don't know. Like he's got one of those careers where I think I always think that he's been around longer than he has because he's quite old. But actually, he got his break when he was like like in his 50s but looked like he was in his 20s or whatever yeah. you know like he's in jumper sure yeah because he's actually so actually i think when they were like um promoting this film he was working on die hard with a vengeance with bruce willis but he said that he'd go to like parties and stuff and then people be going crazy because they'd be like bruce willis was there and then john travolta was there and they'd be like who's that guy 
Some John Travolta, like a bloated, old-looking John Travolta with long hair. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, like he'd been in stuff up to this point, but like no, no, like Samuel L. Jackson roles I can really see. You know, he's in Patriot Games. Uh, he's got a role in Goodfellas somewhere, but I don't really remember him in that film. Uh, Fathers and Sons, True Romance. So the I'm pretty sure the boxer storyline, the book storyline that Roger Avery wrote, he was actually writing scenes for True Romance. Because he he's the writer of True Romance. Yeah, he was writing scenes yeah. for True Romance, and then they kind of didn't end up making it in the film. He's in okay. Jurassic Park somewhere, but like yeah, then it's Pulp Fiction. Like this is really the 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 one lead, that takes the, him the, 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 the launch pad for because all right, John, you say John Travolta's the lead, and I kind of agree, but. Samuel Jackson steals every single scene that he's in. Yeah. And yeah, he, he is, I think he's the best performance in this. You think it's the best performance? Um, yeah. I, th- I think Travolta's think great. I'd but agree. I, I also think Uma Thurman's pretty good. Yes, I think she's good. I just think... I mean, pretty much everyone but Tarantino is good. Yeah, agreed. Harvey Cartel might be the best performance, actually. He's good. I don't think he's, I don't think he's good like Samuel Jackson's good, though. Like, when you actually think about what None of the the rest of the characters don't really change. He's the only one that really changes, but he like, and he just nails the way like. Marcellus Wallace changes. Marcellus Wallace kind of changes. He changes his mind. Yeah, but like, Jules goes on an actual transformation. Like he he actually has real character development. Yeah, but it's kind of a bullshit transformation, right? Like he goes from being a like he even says himself he just saying shit because it sounds cool, and then he goes in this rant but he doesn't actually have a he ends up with saying i don't know if i'm the tyranny of evil man or if i'm the shepherd or if i'm the good man yeah but i think the fact that he's questioning those things is the I point suppose, yeah and like but, he genuinely it does seem like he genuinely is gonna give up the whole life like he feels as though he has had a divine experience sure but he's still fully okay with tim roth robbing up a hole like he has the opportunity to get everyone's the film but, operates in like a strange moral gray yeah. area for sure he has the opportunity to give everyone his money back and he just gives the guy his $1,500. And... The film is essentially amoral, isn't it? Yes. Really? Yeah. In the, but that's why the film doesn't have a story. I don't think, I don't know if character development is the, uh, his character No, but I would say that, I would say that he is the only character that you could, argue, you could even argue. That has an arc. Yeah, has I, an yeah. Arc. Okay. I see that. I don't know if it, I think it's all kind of, I'm on Vince Vegas side here. I think it's all a bit bullshit. Yeah, maybe. But either way, Sam Jacks. Yeah, great. Really great. Really great. See, I don't have, I don't think I've got, I don't know about like deep cuts to this film or what this film's trying to say. No, I mean I think really it is just it's, it's a case pulp of, fiction. That's the point of it. Yeah, it? I think I think a lot of people kind of look at this film as because of its non-linear structure. You often hear about how it plays with story structure or it subverts traditional story structure. I don't think it does that. No, I think it is cut up and arranged in a bit of an interesting way. But each story is effectively four stories. You've got the dinosaur. I think, Bunny and I think it plays with the structure in terms of there's a way you expect each of the stories to go and they it's, take each of the stories takes yeah. a right and turn in the sense point. that like and yeah and there's also this thing of you can kill the main character halfway through but then also he's still there at the end when you yeah. need him to be there yes but yeah. that's just because they've arranged the stories differently each individual story you've got pumpkin and honey bunny the mia story the jewel story with the, the miracle thing yeah and the watch um they are all, like, if you look at those independent stories that just happen to meet at certain points, yeah. they all follow pretty general story structure, even in the way they're delivered to you. you I you're think introduced them, to them, and then you see them go through to their end, and then you right, see I think their each conclusion. Of them, each of them takes this right turn or something. One, one of them, each of them 
follows a narrative and then sure it takes a right turn but that's a case of um but i think it takes a, turn a situation arising out of the circumstances True, what i mean there's is a like structure that you expected to follow you expect the uh the scene with mia and vince yeah and you expect that story to be about uh, is there something going to happen between them? Because mm-hmm. they even mentioned it before about the foot rub. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that she snorts heroin and has an overdose. Yeah, so sure. That's that to- but that, it- still a cl- that still comes as a climax at the point in a traditional story when there'll be a climax. In the sense that each one of them effectively, each of the four stories effectively follows a three-act structure yes. of like oh, yeah, yeah. set up, climax, resolution. Yeah. You know? And like you could even, you could follow those things. And it, okay, he does some clever stuff in terms of setting some of them up simultaneously because he kind of sets up the Mia story at the same time as setting up the hitmen story because they're talking about it yes exactly. and then yeah. he turns up then they kind of have the second act what you would say would be them at the diner at the end of the second act would be when he finds her uh ODing and then yeah. th- that becomes the kind of final act of that story but each story is given in a linear fashion you never see the end of one story before oh, no, you yeah. see okay. how in terms you get the structure, there they all they're all pretty standard yeah yeah you I just agree. see the beginnings and you just see the big, you see the beginning of a story and then it follows it to the end. And then you just join another story. But yeah. It just so happens that that story began elsewhere because it all takes place over one day. Yes. And in, yeah. a, in a sense, it all, the whole film. Yeah, I think so. Cause it literally, it starts with them go, in yeah, the car go in the dinner morning. and then they see them the next day. Yeah. And then Bruce Willis kills a guy in the evening and okay. then he wakes up the next morning. And okay. Himself. So it, it goes over two days. Yeah. Yeah. But my, my point is, each there's three classic archetypal gangster stories that happen. There's an element of subversion there in or terms four, of... four, I suppose, yeah. yeah. But each of them has a point, and then there is one situation that happens that takes it off it the rails. It off the rails, yeah. Yes. So you've got the um, Vince Vega shooting Marvin in the face. Uh, you've got Mia Wallace taking an overdose. You've got... Shot Marvin in the face. He did shoot Marvin in the face. Uh, you've got Bruce and Ving Rhames getting uh, kidnapped. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got... That's the most obvious example of it going weird, isn't it? Where it's yes. like, hey, there's this thing that's happening. And then like, wait, what? Like, so, oh, they meet each other, they punch each other. And then like, what the also, fuck? What is the fucking chat? Like, how, what bad luck? The, yeah. what, like, the place where you happen to walk into to have your fight just also... Like, he's also the likes dressing up in leather and calling a police friend. So that trying to gimp, have sex with the gimp yeah. is always there. I guess he just keeps him down there. He's just a, an owned person who lives in a very small. He really commits cage. to the whole the gimp thing, doesn't he? Yeah, he's in committing to that lifestyle. Mm, chafing. I imagine he's got some talc under there. Yeah, because also that store isn't huge. Like, does it make enough money to pay a per? Like, oh, they don't. I didn't. I think he was uh, one of their victims who was. Oh, and you think they just feed him to keep him there? Yeah, and he's got some Stockholm syndrome type stuff. Maybe. But yeah, I'd say that is the most obvious of like, okay, this has just got weird. Yeah. But yeah, you're right in the sense that they all kind of follow traditional story beats until they don't. And they're, and they're all the like the archetypal mm. gangster. But my point is, I think to say that it subverts the idea of story structure, the no, okay, way yeah, that I don't stories think are delivered, yeah, I think is is not, just, just strictly not true. Like, yes. Almost the reason it works as well as it does is because it adheres to story structure, which yeah. means that you can get away with having the... the um, the, the full yeah. chronology of the entire thing actually kind of out of order yes but you're still able to keep up with what's going on in each one because there's a clear setup like yes. there's a clear first act second act third act to each of the stories it just so happens that you're watching four stories and he just sort of cuts between them a little bit and some of the characters interlinked. but even then he doesn't come between them that much effectively it's, it's effectively four short films yeah the only one that's properly cut in half or cut up is the diner story because it yeah. bookends the film other than that you see the mia story 
start and then gets to its end, at which point you then watch the um, the Bruce Willis story and yeah. then you watch the Jules story and then you just get... you get The Jules story up. is... The Jules and Vince story is cut up into. Sort of, in the sense that the setup of it is at the beginning and then you kind of see... But I would say that like the, the true short... That is almost like preamble and right, the actual okay. narratives that you get is once he thinks he has the miracle happen to him which you see when you come back to them that's yeah. kind of the inciting incident for Jules and then the inciting incident for um Vince is I guess picking yeah, up so see Mia, Mia, yeah. yeah and that and then that kind of plays forward like normal like it's not not nearly as complicated as oh, it's not, like it's, I don't think it's complicated I don't think it changes how story structure works no but I think it just it just plays on the idea of what you think a gangster film is and it's be. incredibly watchable for a yeah. film that is four stories intertwined together. It's and they're, incredibly watchable. And there are it certain scenes that I did just rewind immediately and watched out. The, the first scene with uh, Jaws and Vince. Yeah, so that I was a scene. A few days after game. I watched it, I just watched the first yeah. like half an hour of the film again. Yeah, because it's just like it's, it's just awesome. The scene where Vince uh, is listening to me on the intercom. He's walking yeah. around. He's just, at least I think it's a meme now where he's just a gif. Yeah. Where he just doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. But that, he plays that so well. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like the Bruce Willis story so much out of the three of them. It's but... definitely the, I think the weakest one. Although I will say that well, I always remember that one dragging and me not liking it at all, but watching it again, it's not even, it's not as much of an issue for me. No, I like his uh, girlfriend character a lot more. Yeah. I, no. I would say, I don't think this film is, without fault no. there are there are parts of the film there are even maybe scenes in the film that i don't really like but i would say that the good bits are so good that it, they make up for any the general standard is just really really good and yes. then the, the best bits are so good that they make up for any sort of shortcomings of the film and you I, like they're so memorable as well like like you say you, you can just quote any samuel jackson line in this film at any point yeah any harvey cartel line in this film it just feels it's iconic like yeah Every, every not every scene but there are so many scenes in this film that are stapled into film history yeah good film yeah really good film please don't jerk off over this Quentin Tarantino uh yeah Quentin you dirty Stop boy that. Yeah. he right it I feel like it's it, it does annoy me that his so many of his films are so good like he hasn't made very many or any properly bad films no i've not I, hopefully i but he just seems finished. so like edgelordy like he just wants to kind of be controversial whenever he can yeah uh, it's a bit of a shame it's like one of the people you, you don't know? want to be good at what he does yeah i know you don't like people refer to him like you know this the word genius gets thrown around a lot when you're talking about him and like i almost want to recoil from that and not use that word but i don't know if it's fair not to i mean like and when it really comes to understanding how. of how to put a film together how to write a film there aren't very many people with more like intrinsic knowledge i think he just he just lives and breathes it he just knows it yeah you know absolutely. i think he just like sees in film uh i he's one of these people who like but when i was about to watch this film i thought i wouldn't enjoy it as much as i in my head enjoyed it the first time i watched it and right. i think i probably enjoyed it i think more. i probably enjoyed it more i hadn't seen this film probably for eight or so probably years. years I mean like so yeah we watched it together about 10 years ago yeah and you reckon that was maybe the first time maybe not it. thinking again but I can't remember I'd definitely yeah. seen it once before that I think and right. then saw it then 
I'd probably seen it again a couple of years after that. And I hadn't, I'd probably, I'd maybe seen it a few times, but then, yeah, the last like eight years or so. Mm. I think for a lot of people, this was their first, like the first 18 they ever saw. Yeah. Probably my first 18 I saw was actually Kill Bill. First Kill Bill. Okay. Uh, so that pretty much after. Um, I don't know. I watched a lot of films before I was really. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, first 18 I saw was probably The Shining, which yeah. I saw when I was like seven. Which is maybe too early the to watch film you watched was stunning. Yeah. How old? Like seven. Okay, yeah. Uh, the too, Shining's fine. Probably too early to watch. I think The Shining is... Uh, I also watched Eyes Wide Shut when enough. I was really young and I did not oh, get yes, it at Yeah, all. I imagine you didn't get Eyes Wide Shut. But. No, well, because we had it on DVD and I wanted to look for something and the, the box art had always really creeped me out. I don't know why it creeped me out, but it literally it's like... The box art. It's literally just like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman kissing, but like... Nicole Kidman's got her eyes open. Which is creepy. And it is creepy. Like, you mm. should just really unsettle me. And I decided to put it on sometime when, like, when I could get away with it without my parents knowing. Because I was like, I was an 18, I probably shouldn't. And I remember just getting to the point when there's just like loads of naked people and they're wearing masks. And I was like, what <laughs> have I done? I didn't understand. 18 what... is right. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I didn't understand what I was looking at. First 15 I ever watched was Kevin and Perry go large. <laughs> Yeah, that probably was me. I think I had that on VHS. Because there's a lot of things about shagging and boners in that <laughs> film. And it's just, like, as a six-year-old, I just thought it was hilarious. I don't know how old I was. Perry about. swallows a poo. Or is it Kevin that swallows a poo? <laughs> kind of, One of them swallows a poo. Kevin swallows a poo. In the ocean. <laughs> I also thought that drinking through your eye was a much bigger thing than it is mm. because of that film. I yeah. thought that that was, like, something that people did, just did. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're, you're, like, eight when you watch it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that guy drinks through his eye. Mm, that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's yeah. what hardcore people do. Mm. Hardcore people like Kevin. I don't know who drinks through their eye. Is there um, why is there a relationship? But there was, they go away, and it's one of the guys there. I remember very little about that S- film. Mate, same. I had it on VHS. I want to say it's. Uh, I want to say it's Risa fans. Really? But, uh, I don't like. I could have literally just inserted him into that. Kevin and Perry go large. 5.5. Risa fans, eyeball pull. That, I'm go. quite proud of myself for that. I haven't seen that film in probably 15 years. No. Because I, I remember it. I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was I fantastic. It. I thought uh, Shag was a blowjob. Because oh, really? at one point, the, like the first scene of the film, I think it's like Queen Mary. He's meeting up with some historical woman who's okay. about to be killed. Yeah. Uh, and he offers her a shag and then she gives him a blowjob. Oh, uh, okay. And for, I just thought that was what that was for a long time. That is, is that film when he sets the prison alarm, uh, the bank alarm off with his erection, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a film. It's just a film where like a 40-year-old guy just put a film about a young kid with erection. Yeah, well, I mean, it's based on, they were a sketch, right? Yes, yeah, so it's Harry Enfield. I don't know who plays Perry is played by a female, which blew my mind at the time. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just, what? what? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they, so. They were uh, yeah. So Kevin and Perry was a sketch. It's Kathy Burke. Yeah, yeah. It's Kathy Burke. She's a British comedian. Okay, known for uh, Kevin and Perry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How do we go into Kevin and Perry? We're talking about Pulp Fiction. Uh, I think probably the natural. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Kevin and Perry clearly takes it. It's, a lot of inspiration mm. from pop fiction. Mm. Do you play the games? Uh, okay, so famous last words. Hit me with your famous last so words. This is a segment where I give you the last line of a film, mm-hmm. and then the other person has to try and guess the film for points. 
Yeah, if you get manage to get the film based only on the quote itself, you get five points. If you need extra clues, such as director or re- uh, release date or whatever, then you lose a point for each clue you get. And there'll be an extra bonus question with a bit of trivia at the end. Uh, I always forget who went first last time and whatever, so you can, you just hit me with your first quote. Okay, the quote is, Okay, sell it all. Okay, sell it all. Yes. The quote is, Okay, sell it all. Hmm. It's one. It's not immediately jump. Usually, I can kind of get like a bit of a an inkling when I when I know something. Yeah. I think you were pretty confident I'd seen this film. Mm-hmm. Okay, sell it all. Is it the Big Short? It's the Big Short. Got there. Well done. Is that because you remember the line, or is it just because? No. Well, I was just sort of thinking, what film would you have anything that you would sell. And I was thinking it's either going to be drugs. That was my first thought. But I, and then I was thinking stocks. You sell stocks. Yeah, you do sell stocks. Big short. Okay, Got which there. is directed by Adam McKay. It is. Have you seen Vice yet? Nope. Mm. Not Russian. No. <laughs> I'm honest. Nothing, it's not bad. It's just hard to watch. Sure. Um, anyway, so my bonus question. Yeah. Can you name me? Two of the three highest-grossing Adam McKay films, adjusted for inflation. Wait, two of the three? How many films has he got? He's got a lot of films. So he was obviously like. Uh, Am I allowed to look at his filmography? Yeah. Okay. So he was like Will Ferrell's. He was like Will Ferrell's guy. So he did all the Anchorman's. He did all that. Did he do Step Brothers? Yeah. Okay. And you want me to give two out of three? Two out of the three top grossing. Do I get, and these are directed by, not like Directed by Adam McKay. Um, do I get three guesses? Yeah. Okay. Ooh. See, I, I, I feel like there's going to be some in here which like did really, really well that you almost just don't. I am going to say Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues. That's one of them. Which is ridiculous. That made so much money. I know, but it's because it's a sequel to something. Because yeah. the first one didn't make that much money, but obviously... No, I was going to say, I, w- I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah. Man. I don't think that's in there. Uh, and then I'm going to say for one of the others, I'm going to say The Other Guys. Other Guys is one of them. Well done. Yeah, and then, hold on, the third one... And this is the top film. This so you is get the two, most you successful get one. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so I'm, I'm thinking it's a, it's a... I don't think it's Vice, and I don't think it's The Big Shot. I think it's a toss-up between... Step Brothers and Talladega Nights, and um, I th- I'm going to say Step Brothers. It's Talladega Nights. It's Talladega Nights. It was just when Will Ferrell was like the. I know. It's just thing that I have heard people talk about Step Brothers a lot. Step Brothers is. Re- have you seen Step Brothers? Yeah, it's good. It's really good. Yeah. And Talladega Nights, just like nobody really talks about it now. I think you know? people. I think I, some people love Talladega Nights. I think they I've do, but, it, but I think t- I think Step Brothers has stuck around. Yes. In yeah. the culture more than uh, than Talladega Nights yeah. has, but okay. Well, I got the point at least. You've got six points there. So hit me with your toe. What, what were your clues going to be? Uh, so I've got some other... I was going to say about the director was someone who went from comedies to... Dramas. Uh, to dramas. Okay. To like, important films. Yeah. Uh, I got another couple of quotes. Okay. Give me the difference between stupid and illegal when I have my wife's, my wife's brother arrested. Okay. Because then he, he's, cause he's stupid. Mm-hmm. Was this going to be another clue? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was Yeah, that's mostly it. I had some other ones, but... Go on. Just go on through the clues. 
That's that's all of them. I figured you'd get after that. Oh, okay, you didn't bother writing clues three and four. No, that's why I was uh, intently grabbing for the iPad. So just I in case. Some more clues, uh, yeah. Okay. See, I always write all my clues ahead of time. But uh, so yeah. I just I just kind of figure out figure that I'll do them in a second. I was going to say 2016. Yeah, yeah. I watched it on. Uh, you're going to say the title it. is a some combination of the words short, big, and the <laughs> short, short, the big, big, the short. <laughs> big, the short. Oh, I see. Okay, famous last words. Mm. Film one, character one, we'll get him when he comes back in, character two, he's not coming back. Now, I'm not actually sure you've seen this film. It would be really difficult to get if I've not seen but, it. But, like, everyone's seen this film, but it's possible you haven't seen this film. We'll get him when he comes back in, he's not coming back. I love lengths of silence. <laughs> this is good radio. I love it. Uh, I'm not going to get it from that. Okay, clue number one. <coughs> clue number one. Oh, so the the first line is the first clue. The last line is the last. Is it just a clue? And then this is clue number one. Well, yeah. Okay, so clue number two. If you want to say it like that. Well, yeah. The second clue should probably be clue number two. Yeah. Sure. I I just see the the clues as supplemental clues to the whatever. Frankly, it doesn't. Yeah, we'll just go for clue number two because it's the correct clue uh, number two. There we go for four points. This film was remade in 2015. But we're talking about the original. You can get the, the name is the same. So you can give me yeah, but the, the, the last, the line, last the line is with the original. I haven't seen the remake. So uh, who knows what the last line of that film is. 2015 remade. Mm-hmm. And the remake was big. No. Okay. So it's remade. To, uh, no one was asking for this film to be remade. This you want another clue? Yeah. This film is referenced quite directly in Hot Fuzz. Oh, this is the thing is if I just said that, then you'd have got that straight away. I don't know <laughs> Hot Fuzz as well as you do. Um, it was remade. It was yeah, and it's referenced directly in Hot Fuzz, as in by name. So about ninety odd films, to be fair. No, but like the name of the film is used. Bad Boys Two. It's not Bad Boys oh, Two. Okay. They remade Bad Boys 2 in 2015. <laughs> yeah, you could have thought about that. Yeah. I think you'd have heard about it. No, I knew it wasn't Bad Boys 2. Okay, the next clue. This film was directed by Catherine Bigelow. Oh, Point Break. Yeah, I've Point, not seen Point Break. Break. Clue number four was going to be the working titles for the film, which were okay. Riders on the Storm or Johnny Utah. How is that? The, f- the clues are meant to get easier. Johnny Utah? That means nothing to me. I've not seen Point Break. The name of the character is Johnny Utah. <laughs> okay. So it's pretty obvious if you've seen it. Right. Uh, okay, so a bonus point. You're absolutely not going to know this if you <laughs> haven't seen the film. I can't believe you, ha- you haven't seen Point Break. Point Break is fucking mint. Okay. Keanu Reeves? Yeah. It's mint. Right. You've got to watch it. Okay. Swayze. It's like peak Swayze. Better than Ghost. It's like... It's peak Swayze. More than Roadhouse, even. <laughs> Roadhouse. Yeah. Seriously, go and watch it. It's like, okay. it seriously holds up really well as well. It's like I a surfer it. film, isn't it? It's about surfers that rob banks. Oh, that and Keanu, fun. Keanu Reeves is a um, police guy. <laughs> a police guy? <laughs> Keanu Reeves is a detective that has to like infiltrate their surfer gang by kind of like becoming friends with them and then like take them down from the inside. But then there's this whole thing where he kind of like falls in love with, you know? And there's this really good bit in Point Break with Fences where... Uh, He's, he's aiming at Swayze, he's, and, but he loves him so much, he just can't bring us to shoot him, and he fires a gun up in the air and goes, ah? You ever fired your gun up in the air and gone, ah? I, 
No, I have not ever fired my gun up in the air and gone ah. Okay, so that's a hot fuzz thing. Yeah, and then he does it at the end, you know? Right. Which is... No, okay, we could talk about Hot Fuzz someday. Um, oh, we're not going to talk about Hot Fuzz because it was not nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. Yeah, but we're going to talk about Hot Fuzz. We'll do the year and then we'll uh, give me a chance to talk about it. Okay, uh, okay, so bonus point, which you're definitely not going to get a chat, but you could you could have a stab because okay. of the way it's... Right, the robbers in this film, you, this is a, probably a, a, at least reference you'll understand. Right. They wear masks of ex-presidents. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the ex-president's masks mm. when you're robbing banks? That's from Point Nixon Break. And stuff, yeah. Which presidents are the four... Are the, there's four of them. Which presidents? I want to say Nixon. Nixon is one. I will give you two wrong answers. Nixon is one. Lincoln? Lincoln is not one. Uh, what year was the film made? The film was... That is quite a good question. Not, I want to say 1995. Okay. I want to say 1995. Eisenhower. Eisenhower is wrong. You've got you've got to get three on the bounce now. Oh, it's nineteen ninety one, and they're all ex presidents at nineteen as in yeah as at nineteen ninety one. Kennedy. No, not Kennedy. Sorry. Right, so they're like old presidents then. It is Reagan. Yeah. Carter. Right. Nixon. Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just really not really then. Um. Yeah, so you got that on clue number four, so you get two points. Nice. Okay, what's your other one? Character one. Mm-hmm. What else is on? Character two. Yeah, let's see what else is on. Character one. Where's the TV guide? What else is on? What was the second line? Yeah, let's see what else is on. Yeah, let's see what else is on. Where's the TV guide? Where's the TV guide? What else is on? This one does ring a bell. Mm-hmm. What else is on? Nice long silences. What else is on? Yeah. Do you want another clue? Yeah, I'll take another clue. I think you'll get it on this one. Maybe, we'll see. This is a line that is repeated throughout the film. Good morning, and in case I don't see you, Good afternoon, good, afternoon, good, good evening, day, and, good and good night. night. It is the Truman Show. It is the Truman Show. Okay, here's well, the yeah. What film? That's a good film. Hmm. I thought that. What uh, are the clues first? Uh, 1998, nominated for best actor in supporting role. Is a guy in a TV show? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like you've made that one up on the spot. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so my question is: Who's the director? Oh, man, I really feel like I should know that. Oh, I've got like a proper block. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Who is it? Peter Weir. Peter Weir. Okay, your second one, and then we can head off. Character one. God, you weigh a lot. This is Love Actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. As if. <laughs> as if. Is that Character the last two. Of the oh, shut your face. That's the last one of the film. Yeah, because she comes out of Heathrow, doesn't she? But there's no voiceover or anything. After that. No. Oh, shit. Last one in the film is God, you weigh a lot, and then... Oh, shut, oh, your, shut face. your face. Do you want the clues anyway? Yeah, yeah. It's Clue pretty... one was this is a directorial debut. Oh, yeah. Clue two was released in 2003. Clue three stars an ensemble cast. And clue four... Uh, I do have another bonus point, hmm. so I'm not going to... But do you want to tell me what the first line is? Not for a bonus point, just for fun. But the voiceover. Yeah. 
When I think of love. No. No? When I get gloomy about the state of the world, okay, I think yeah, about the arrivals yeah. gate at Heathrow Airport. That was the general direction I was going for, but yeah. Yeah. Bonus cue. Okay. As you know, because I think you've seen it, Love uh, Actually once, once is, uh, yeah, is the best film ever, yeah. intertwined stories. Mm-hmm. Must have Pulp Fiction. How many stories are featured in the film? How many stories? How many separate narrative threads so we've got are in the film? Colin Firth and Aurora. We've got Andrew Lincoln and Keira Knightley. We've got uh, Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson and Mia. Laura Linney and her and Carl. Really good looking Carl. Carl. Oh, Carl's and Carl is buff <laughs> and hair loss. <laughs> Which are the two things that you most <laughs> That's want? That's what I want. Is European buff and hair loss. Yeah. Um, we have also got there's more than that. Liam Neeson. Hugh Grant. Martin Freeman. I feel that there's one more I'm missing. I'm going to go for seven. It's nine. It's nine. I would have accepted ten if you count Rickman, Thompson, and then like Rickman, me as two separate stories. No, but they're one, they're one narrative. Story, yeah. So it is nine. All so I the missed. ones you missed are... Wait, don't tell me. Let's see if I can get them. No, I know there's more. Um, the people on the front of the... That's everyone on the front of the box, I'm pretty sure. So they're smaller stories or are they someone big? One of them's got a big knob. <laughs> Colin! And he's got a big knob. <laughs> yeah. Colin got a sex and... So that's eight. I'll be honest, I can't even remember what the other one is now. Just have to Google it, I guess. I don't know. On the Wikipedia page, they list Rowan Atkinson as one. Yeah. I'm like, that, no, that's because not he's one. Because he's on the front cover. But... Yeah, but that's not one. No. Um, which ones did we go through? We've got Laura Linney, Colin Firth, Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, the Rickman situation, Colin with the big knob, Martin Joe Freeman. Page and Martin Freeman. Do we say Liam Neeson is uh, Yeah. Um, Keira Knightley, Chuesto Loja for and Andrew Lincoln, and Bill Nye, Billy Mack and his producer. Fuck me. That's like probably the second biggest yeah. part of the film. How do we forget that one? I don't know. Iconic and brilliant as it is. Oh, I mean, it's a, in the history of filmmaking. I, it's not it's the worst. I'd say the Billy Mack story is not the worst, but it's not knowing it the best. It's like I right there like in the Bill middle Nye. of the pack. Yeah. I like Bill Nye. That's why I like it. But the actual story itself isn't that great. His like appearances on TV and radio mm. is what's fun. You know, when he's like... Don't buy drugs. Come on, Popstar. I give you them for free. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff. And Shows his penis to Michael film. Parkinson. And Ordek. That's funny. Is it Aunt, Aunt, Aunt yeah, but he, Bill Nice is Ant Ordek. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. When he says, thank, thank you, you Ant Ordek. <laughs> you say that you don't like this film, but it's got... I don't say I don't like this film. I do, I do like Love Actually. More than any other film. I like Love Actually the most out of all the films. Hmm. No, I do like... Love actually. We're gonna have this we've had this argument three times now. It's not even an argument. I like it. Alright, I like it. I just I've I don't like it the way I don't like it as much as I used to just because it is I've just been massively overexposed to it. And at no point did I ever think it was really like good, but it is a nice sort of guilty Christmas pleasure. Like in the same way that I like the holiday. Mm. I think the holiday's probably bad. But Ho- <laughs> the holiday. I really like the holiday. 
I really, like really dislike the holiday. I don't like any of the characters, except for maybe Napkin Face. But I haven't watched. <laughs> yeah, Napkin Head. Uh, I haven't watched Love Actually in a while, but so that when it comes to like Christmas and it, if I have, if I catch it and put it on, I will enjoy it. You know, it but at, there was like a point at least where, once a year. Yeah, but like I, I usually watch like Die Hard around Christmas time. Hmm, I usually watch Die Hard. Somewhere. Um, but I can't just do, I just can't do Love Actually every year because. I think it's just one of those things where, like, once you really know it, it drifts by, right? Because it's a nice film to put on and have it drift by. Yeah. But the bits that I really don't like, like the Kira Knightley storyline and all that sort of stuff, like... Really stick out. Really stick out. Mm. And, like, anytime Mia's on screen, I just want to, like, hurt myself. <laughs> it's a weird reaction. <laughs> well, I can't hurt anyone else. That'd be bad. It's bad to hurt yourself. It is bad you to hurt You should respect yourself. yourself. Yeah, you should. I don't respect Mia, though, because she's a shitty character. I don't like it. Mm. So like, I think that's made my issue with it. It's like, for there a long time, I enjoyed enough of it to look over those bits, but it's almost like that balance flipped at some point. Yeah. Anyway, this is far too long to spend all my love, actually, for the probably the fourth. Every episode so far, <laughs> probably, we have to love, actually. Love Which, if anything, proves that it's no. canonical in filmmaking. No, yeah. You can't just every conversation we ever have about films say love actually the best film ever made and then say that probably proves it's the best film ever made because it's been said the most. Yeah. I don't. Hmm. What's your point? My point is this is the end of the show. In two weeks time, we're going to be discussing the best picture winner from 1995, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Uh, this was Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is a good film. Go and watch it. Pulp Fiction is a real good film. Yeah. Go watch it again. I mean, no one's not seen Pulp Fiction at this point, right? No I mean, I suppose you'd also say no one's not seen Forrest Gump, but this guy... You haven't seen Forrest Gump. Seen Forrest I've seen Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump once or twice. So uh, it's going to be a new one for me. going to be coming at, coming at you with some hot, hot takes. How hot? 25 years later. <laughs> Is 25? Fuck me. Yeah, we're 20... We I forget that every four. We're yeah, 25 years old and we're doing this series because these films were made when we were born. That's horrible. Yeah. So two weeks time, come back and yes. uh, talk about that. Uh, we are on wherever you're listening to this, leave a review. Yeah. I don't oh, even yeah. know if you can actually do that wherever you listen. Leave a review on Apple. Just on Apple. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. And wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> The nominees for Best Picture of the Year are... My mom always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. See, I don't think an adult of your intelligence ought to be commended for simply, at long last, telling the truth. Send you here for life? That's exactly what they take. And the Oscar goes to...